Welcome to the Later in Life Planning Show with Patrick Colley, brought to you by Keystone Elder Law, right here on News Radio WHP 580. Now, here's your host, Patrick Colley. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. At Keystone Elder Law, our overall mission is to shield the middle class from the costs and the challenges of getting older. And we come at that uh, a lot of different ways. One is what we do, of course, which is the legal planning, uh, where we're looking at powers of attorney. We're looking at healthcare powers of attorney. We're looking at wills and trusts. These are legal devices, but how you use them has to do with your particular circumstances. And we can look at predictable challenges coming along the way, but we point people to all kinds of other resources that we don't provide, but we know you need to build that shield the way it needs to be built. And so today we're we're talking about one of those other resources. It's knowing about something called palliative care, and it goes to quality of life, uh, whether you are in the later years of life or whether you are listening right now uh, because you listen to this show, you're worried about your parents, but you're also worried about finding Taylor Swift tickets for your kids. Uh, you know, we we have to plan for a lot of different things. But palliative care really applies regardless of what your age is. And my guest today is Christy Altice from UPMC. And uh, Christy, thank you for being here because I know you have so much uh, information and, and insights and stories to share. Great. I'm happy to be here. And so I'm going to take you know, the regular listeners, and I build up in my head how many of them there really are, uh, that people may have been listening to episode 16 of this show back in April of 2023, when Lauren Smeltzer provided a wonderful explanation of hospice. She's from Hospice for All Seasons, but hospice really comes into play in a particular uh, time or place, set of circumstances Whereas palliative care, which gets lumped in with hospice, is not really the same thing. Would you start there, just differentiating the two? Yes, absolutely. So, one, I won't be able to help anyone get Taylor Swift tickets. Well, uh, that part is for sure. My daughters will be very disappointed. <laughs> but so palliative care. So it's really tough to understand. And I actually just had this conversation with a, a patient's daughter the other day. She said, help me help me understand I'm from North Carolina. I'm not from this region. Like what, what can palliative care provide? So um, palliative care and hospice, we get lumped together because really the training that our physicians get, and even myself, I'm an advanced practice nurse who's certified in hospice and palliative medicine. Right now, that specialty is all one. It's all actually lumped under this large umbrella of palliative care. Hospice really is palliative care, but it's at more towards the very end of life. Whereas, you know, you and Lauren talked about someone who qualifies for hospice really per Medicare guidelines needs to have a prognosis of about six months or so, months or less to live. Their medical conditions have to um, kind of line up that we think that their life expectancy may be short. Palliative care is a service that can be provided to people of all ages, as you've alluded to, and really the the criteria for maybe qualifying for palliative care is that somebody just has a serious illness, a life-limiting condition. So 
when I introduce myself to patients, for example, um, I walk in a room and I say, I'm Christy, I'm a nurse practitioner with palliative. And most people look at me like I have three heads and they ask me how to spell it. And uh, as I've shared with you, sometimes they say, what are you trying to sell me? And I say, no, I'm, I'm just here to help. Um, the mission of palliative care programs, whether that's in a hospital setting or another setting, is that our job is really to try to relieve some of the suffering and the symptom burden of serious illness. So, this and, and maybe it helps to like let, <clears throat> let's look at particular situations because my uh, layman's view of it and the way that I translate it for for my clients at Keystone Elder Law has always been well. Like like you said about what Lauren said, if you are truly within six months or so, as as far as anybody can tell that, uh, of the end of your life, maybe we're getting you off of a lot of medications. Mm-hmm. We're clearing up your head. We're making the most of the time you have left, but we're certainly not using life-extending gizmos and, and pharmaceuticals and all the wonderful things that medicine has to offer because that's a choice. Mm-hmm. You're making the most of the time. But what if you're not at the end of your life, mm-hmm. uh, you're you're a 20-something person with cancer or a 40-something person with some other uh, awful disease, and yeah. it's, like you said, life-limiting. Well, you're mm-hmm. not at the end. We're still going to try to keep you alive, mm-hmm. but let's work on the life-limiting part. Am I getting that at all right? No, you are. So we can see patients um, really at any stage of that illness. So like I said, a serious illness is kind of what qualifies you for palliative care. But as you've stated, um, palliative care specialists can care for individuals who are still receiving treatment. So locally in this area, um, our palliative care team were very well integrated into our oncology, uh, our Hillman Cancer Center. So we see individuals within our office um, and also via telemedicine. And our role is really, I tell them, you know, my job, I'm not your oncologist. Your oncologist's job is helping to figure out what type of cancer you have, ordering the tests, trying to decide what treatment plans are available to you. My job is to hear, like, how is that illness affecting your daily life? And then think creatively and outside of the box to figure out if there's any way that I can help. So we are able to see you in conjunction with your oncologist, maybe while you're receiving chemotherapy or while you're getting radiation. And we can help to manage some of the symptoms um, that either occur because of the result of your disease, the results of your cancer and where it's kind of invaded into your body, or maybe even your treatments themselves are causing some symptom burden. And we can help to bridge you while you're receiving treatment Um, We actually have some patients who, you know, I know palliative, like we said, associated with hospice, associated with end of life. But I have patients who I've seen who, particularly a gentleman I can remember with some form of head and neck cancer, who while he was getting really aggressive treatments of chemotherapy and um, radiation to that region, he needed to have a feeding tube inserted because he wasn't able to swallow. And so during that time, I met with him periodically and I helped to manage the opioids that he required for his pain because it was so great and so intense. And after he had those curative treatments for his cancer, 
we were able to wean down off of his opioids. He returned to work. And now I hope that he has, you know, a long life. And we have since parted ways. And, uh, you know, I wish him the best. And if he's listening, like, hey. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I have a couple stories like that where patients still are actually getting curative treatments. Um, we do have patients, um, unfortunately, more often than not, if you're diagnosed with a, a very metastatic disease and your oncologist is referring to us, um, chances are that at some point, whether it's years from now when we meet you or it's months from now, um, we may even help assist you to try to realize with your oncologist, like, when is it time to kind of transition off of those treatments or they're not working any longer and help you transition to hospice? So, Hospice is kind of like our sister in that we help with aiding, whether it's the time period or, or also just the medication management. Like maybe I've been helping to manage your pain for the last two years, but now we're reached a, a point where possibly cancer has progressed and there's not a lot of treatment options available and we really need to start preparing more for the end of your life. In that progression is probably why people lump them together, but they don't necessarily have to lead one into the other. It it happens, but yeah. but the most interesting insight there, I think, is that it could be whatever medical condition you have that's causing the life limiting pain or uh, something else going on in your life, and that's where palliative care comes in. But it it might not be the condition itself. It might be the treatment for the condition yeah. that's going to keep you alive longer. Now we're treating the symptoms of the treatment, yeah. which is, you know, you, most people don't jump that many steps ahead right. in their mind. Yeah. And and even the weighing the risks and the benefits. So one of the things that, that kind of brings to mind, one of the things that palliative care providers, so when I say providers, I mean that my physicians on my team, they have an entire full year of training in palliative care. So they have this very extensive education in medication management and symptom management of typical symptoms with malignancy, so cancer, but also with those end the end of life process because they could also be hospice doctors if they sure. wanted to be. But so those, those physicians, they're, they're really advanced training and, um, in pain management, but also in medical decision-making, which I, I, you know, we might be able to talk a little bit more about like, well, what does medical decision-making mean and how it ties in to Later advanced in care life planning. planning. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Let's take a break and then come right back to that. My guest today is Christy Altice with UPMC. Uh, you can find upmc.com and search for resources on palliative care to learn more. But we'll be, we'll be back with Christy Altice in a moment on the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law on News Radio WHP 580. Now, more of the Later in Life Planning Show here on News Radio WHP 580. We are back on the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. I am your host, Patrick Cauley, and my guest today is Christy Altice from UPMC, and she is an expert in palliative care, and that's what we're talking about today. And before the break, uh, you, you gave us a whole lot of information and <laughs> insights Christy, but you were talking about how like you don't just waltz into the field of of palliative 
medicine. I mean, first of all, a lot of people don't understand that what it is, what the term right. means. They don't understand the difference between palliative care and hospice care. They don't understand that sometimes it's like uh, it, it's not just to treat maybe the life-limiting aspects of the condition. It's the, the life-limiting aspects of the treatment itself. Mm -hmm. And then you were saying, well, uh, even the, the providers themselves, yourself, the physicians, whoever else is on your team, they go through some pretty extensive training. And you were saying, right. you know, and, and I'm going to put you on the spot, you know, you're mm -hmm. no slouch yourself. <laughs> what, you know, what kind of training did you have to go through even to go in and say, I'm Christy from UPMC and I'm here to talk about palliative care? Yeah. So I am a nurse practitioner. I'm actually trained in my board certification is adult gerontology. So I could work in a primary care office to provide primary care to anyone over the age of, I think, 18. But there's some discussion about teenagers in there, too. Um, so before I did that, though, I spent six years as a bedside nurse in the hospital setting. So, And I've worked in various settings, medical, surgical. I've spent some time in the ICU, very limited, but I've kind of had exposure to a lot of different disease processes, for example. Um, and then I became a nurse practitioner, and I now am certified for the last uh, three or four years in hospice and palliative medicine. So I have I've taken additional study to take a, an examination and, and now have a certification in that area. Um, and as you've mentioned, you know, so the physicians that are a part of my team, and my team is largely nurse practitioners and physicians. That's kind of who composes our, our palliative team at um, UPMC. And, and everybody gets that sort of like you got to put in the time to focus yep. on what palliative care is all about. Yep, exactly. So every physician on our team has to go through a fellowship program like many other medical specialties, you know, just like your nephrologist and your oncologist. I mean, they may even have additional years of study as well. Um, but so a lot of that time spent in training, like kind of the two big tiers is is medication symptom management, but also actually learning how to assist patients and caregivers or family, whoever that means to the patient, surrogate decision makers, mm -hmm. with how to make medical decisions. So believe it or not, we have training in how to talk to people, which when <laughs> I when I teach to other nurses about like what is palliative care, I'm like, I can't believe I'm even saying that like I have training in teamwork and I have training in like how to be open and honest with people. Like that's what everybody should be doing, right? But there is there's additional training on like how to remember that the people you're caring for are humans and moms and dads and really making things like patient centered. I think another way to look at it is sometimes in uh, healthcare there's a right answer and there's a wrong answer, mm -hmm. but that's not always the case. And it might be different for each person, right? So True. a lot of the things that I talk about with patients are like when when I meet somebody, for example, who maybe didn't do a living will or have a discussion with their family member about what medical preferences they would want if they were in any condition, um, I often say like, you know, I'm going to tell you what's going on medically, okay? I'm going to tell you the facts and what I'm seeing from a big picture view. That's kind of the palliative training. It's like we really take a step back and look at the big picture of like what is happening and how does this pertain to life. So we're looking at what was someone's, so if I'm in the inpatient setting, for example, if I'm in a hospital setting, I'm thinking about 
who was this person before they walked into my hospital? Oh, that's great. How was your mom walking? Was she driving? Was she doing things for herself? Like her functional status is going to be a huge part in my mind. What? Who was she? And then not only that, that's the physical side. But I want to know like, what are her interests? Yep. What are the things that make her life worth living? If it's gardening and going to like the Red Hat ladies lunch, you know, like if those are the things that get her going, then it's my job to learn about her, find out her values, her social supports. Are you in California as her daughter that I'm talking to right now? That's huge. Or are you here and you live next door? Big difference. So I want to learn not only the, like, I'm not thinking about just the physical side. I'm talking about the social, the the emotional, the the things that give life meaning. And then once I learn about you, I want to apply what is your medical situation right now? So are we in a spot where we're going to be able to get mom back to that point, that function, those things that she enjoys doing, or that not really in the cards moving yeah. forward because we uh, a big thing happened she had a major stroke yeah or you know she really had a, a very aggressive infection and she's septic or god forbid she ended up somehow on a ventilator because she had some really aggressive pneumonia or something like that you and know, the child in california is saying savor at all costs right and you're saying whoa let's take a step back yeah and we can we there are plenty of ways we can keep her alive longer but what are we accomplishing right and i do like want to make very clear to the listeners but also to my my people that i am helping and assisting my patients you know my job my hope is not to like go see everyone and convince them to stop their medical interventions because they're no good like that's not that's not my mo that's not my whole purpose but what i i do want to do is i want to be able to apply the medical side of what's going on to your actual life and tell you like what is realistically a potential outcome and what's not and if and if your plan is i want to continue trying to get back to that point then that's what we do and we keep treating and if we don't and you're like uh, yeah, you're right. If mom can't garden again, like her life is over, then we can talk about, well, what could life look like from this point yeah. on? Is it, you know, is it like, oh my gosh, the situation's so dire that I, I'm very worried she may only have a couple days and you need to get here from California right. if you want to see her. Or is it like, okay, it's not that great if she decided that she wouldn't want some sort of feeding tube. Um, you know, I think she may have months or something like that. Then we could talk about hospice. Where could that person be cared for? Things like that. But part of our role is really helping with that medical decision making. And the, the point of that is really learning about the individual and being able to apply the medical side to like that person's life and help them know what's realistic or not. And I think that the nuance that you just provided of all of the questions that go into this have to be reassuring to listeners who hear UPMC or pick your other large healthcare provider and Mm -hmm. they're just like, well, that's just money, money, money. They just want to treat me, treat me, treat me and collect the payment for the treatment. It's like, well, maybe, maybe not. I mean, not the money part, but like maybe we treat you, but only if it's consistent with 
your the goal that we're you know we're exactly. we're looking at the whole person here. Right, right. We the, our our colleagues that ask us to be involved in patient care often the reason for co- consulting us and getting us involved in the first place is like, can you help define the goals of the care? Like, given this situation, can you help them figure out what they want to get out of their medical treatments? And I I find in every conversation I have with healthcare providers, and a number of them have been from UPMC, but some are clients or, um, you know, some they're in other places. But I think that that things have come a long way where we've solved a lot of problems. I mean, when you look at the history of the advances in the last several decades, it's astounding what we can do to keep oh, yeah. to keep people alive longer. But now we're all like, you don't want to be that healthcare provider who like, I, got, I kept the person alive longer but they're writhing in pain or right. they, they can't do they're miserable yeah that's the woman who can't go to the red hat yeah, lady exactly. meeting or what you know and now she's in a nursing home yeah. because you know things got unfortunately to a point where she couldn't care for herself anymore. but like yeah. any other industry you kind of have to go through that trial and error until mm-hmm. you realize we need to reassess everything we're doing and hence palliative care yeah exactly and so a little bit kind of more about the the hospital-based palliative care. And majority, like if you're a listener, you know, in not in central Pennsylvania, most major health systems now have a, health, a palliative medicine team. So that's going to be specialists like I'm talking about, physicians, nurse practitioners, maybe physician assistants, social workers. Um, but so in the hospital setting, uh, palliative care teams were really – we're really going to focus on um, maybe just taking a touch, like a checkpoint in your your disease trajectory, and and in it, we may meet you one hospitalization, and we're just introducing ourselves, and we're just um, talking about who you are, and then we might follow up with you either during that hospitalization or in future encounters that you have with our healthcare system. Okay. Well, let's talk some more about that. Let's take a break and then come right back to that. Uh, This is the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law, and my guest today is Christy Altice from UPMC. Of course, upmc.com, and you can search for more information on palliative care. We'll be back right here on News Radio WHB 580. Welcome back. To the Later in Life Planning Show on News Radio WHP 580. Here's Patrick Colley. I am speaking today with Christy Altice, an expert in palliative care from UPMC. Uh, UPMC.com, of course, and you can uh, find all kinds of resources on palliative care. But Christy, you uh, you have provided so many insights about uh, when palliative care is appropriate. What does the medical team look like, the nurse practitioners, the physicians? What kind of preparation for this time uh, in a patient's life have they had? And what are the kinds of questions? But you threw in something right before the break, <laughs> follow-up. Yeah. So it, it's kind of like, you know, in some practice areas— you know, it, it, let's say you're in oncology. So I have mm-hmm. cancer. I'm taking, I, I'm getting cancer. You're in oncology for probably a while. And they're yeah. not just going to, you know, uh, do one thing and say, you're done here. Um, I mean, that's the goal, of course, is to get to the point where you're done here with cancer. And God bless everybody going through that journey. But um, th- what's the time frame for palliative care? Is it always 
the same? Is it, or yeah. what does it look like in terms of follow up? Yeah, very good question, and I actually get asked this a lot. Um, and you know, something I hear often is like, "Well, this person is in palliative care," and that kind of makes me cringe when I hear it because in palliative care just has a connotation. I think of it's kind of it's, it's usually like a used yeah it's usually used <laughs> negatively like oh they're in palliative care they don't want any more treatment and that's just not the case so the way that palliative care teams function and and locally here you know we're not your primary care doctor um, in when we see you in the clinic in the hospital setting um, we work as consultants same in the clinic as well we're really consultants and we may meet you just one time. Like we may be asked by your hospital doctor to see you while you're in the hospital. And then that that visit may maybe because you have an advanced illness, let's say heart failure, for example. What I'm going to do is I'm going to do those things I've talked to you earlier about. I'm going to learn who you are. Who are you? What makes you tick? How were you doing before you came here? I'm going to talk to you about your medical situation right now. And then if you want. I might talk about a couple options moving forward. So maybe you're at a point where hospice might benefit you. Or maybe you're like, you know what? I think that my plan with my doctors right now is perfectly in tune with what I'm trying to get out of it. And I really, I feel good. I feel like I'm in a good place. I don't really think that we need to make any changes. The doctors are hopeful that I'm going to be better with this treatment that they're starting me on. And that that might be the case. And then we just say, well, you know what, if there's a time in your life where you ever think that we could help you, or if your situation changes and you might need some help trying to navigate that situation, then we can either be asked to see you again by your providers, or you can reach out and try to involve us in your care as well. And that might be in the hospital. It might be in the office setting, or there are also palliative care teams that can see patients within their home in circumstances as well as a precursor to hospice too. And that raises an inter- interesting question. And, and, and uh, we do uh, actually have listeners who, who either go on to whp580.com and they find the podcast menu or they listen on one of, on their iHeart app on their phone or whatever podcast mm-hmm. app. And I see them and, you know, uh, tip of the hat to those of you in Council Bluffs, Iowa. I, mm-hmm. I will admit I had to look it up, but but there's a number <laughs> of people listening to the show out there um, across the country. And you're saying this is a concept mm-hmm. that people can find there as well. But but since you brought it up, um, UPMC of Central PA, you know, there you're you're talking about a number of your your team isn't like we're going to meet you in a certain wing of the hospital. There yeah. are these different settings where right. palliative care becomes relevant and yeah. probably true. For the people in in Iowa or in other states, right? Exactly. So yeah, like like I've said earlier, if you're in any state and you go to a major health system, usually you have some form of palliative care specialty team. So that the breakdown of that team may include social workers, nurse practitioners, physicians, um, and every time they see you, they're going to be doing an assessment as to like, okay, what is the how how much can we help right now versus like maybe I'm just going to introduce myself to a person and then we can kind of see how things go from here. Um, But yes, so no matter where you are, you can probably find somebody in palliative care in this region and and specific to UPMC and Central PA. Our team, we see patients in all seven of our, our UPMC hospital sites. So and then we also have a couple clinics, various uh, spread out throughout the various 
counties um, a couple days a week. So we're not your not Monday through Friday clinic where, you know, we're seeing 40 people in a day. Um, and Schedule cl- your suffering appropriately, right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. So and our and our appointments, you know, our visits are, are prolonged. So they're not your 15, 20-minute appointment. We're spending, because I'm, ta- I'm telling you, we're, we're going through, we're getting down to the nitty-gritty about what yeah. is causing your pain. What is that like for you on a daily basis? Or who are your people in your life? And tell me about everyone and tell me about all these things. So that's, that takes time that, you know, other healthcare providers, unfortunately, they don't have because their visits right. with you are much briefer. Um, we're looking at about 40 minutes, an hour sometimes. It also depends on what's going on with you. In the home setting, um, if someone's seeing a palliative care provider, if they're visiting them at home, they may spend, uh, you know, an hour with them, an hour and a half to really try to help get through everything and help you navigate things. Again, combating the preconception, then there is, you know, there's a business of of medicine. I mean, you you have to keep the lights on, mm-hmm. but combating the idea that no, we're, we're we're regimented. We will see you for no more than twelve point five minutes, yeah. and then we're on to the next patient. I mean, right. you, this is worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just curious, you know, you talk about the different settings, and mm-hmm. you know, you're not really confined to time. It's we're going to meet people and really learn all about them. Are there I mean, this is the later in life planning show, so mm-hmm. there are certain ailments that are a little more common in the mm-hmm. later years of life, but there are some ailments that hit people at any stage of life. Uh, are Do you find palliative care coming into play with certain diagnoses more than others, or yeah. would people be surprised at, at you know the answer here? Great question. So um, in this area, I would say majority of our patients, we're looking at life-limiting illnesses like heart failure or um chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, COPD, emphysema. Um, We are talking about, of course, cancer, metastatic disease um, particularly. But we're also, you know, seeing geriatrics patients because most of the time they might have a combination of a couple of those illnesses. Or maybe they're a healthy geriatrics patient and uh, the geriatric service might be not available in that facility. And we just want to talk about checkpoint on their advanced care planning. Like, hey, you're 95. uh, You've been hospitalized two or three times now with falls. Like, what what is this ambulatory dysfunction? I guess would be your life limiting illness in that in that standpoint. But so um, then we have like progressive neurologic conditions, ALS, for example. Um, I um, we don't see that as frequently within our healthcare system. Thank goodness. Um, right, right. But we I have, don't see it at Keystone Elder Law as yeah. often as these other conditions. Yeah. But, Good, Dis- disable- it's awful. <laughs> yes, disable anything that disables someone. So, like a major stroke, or like I said, some sort of a very aggressive acute illness, like an infection, or or back to back to back infections and things like that. Dementia. Yes. Dementia. Right. Yeah. So, really, those things that could potentially have some sort of um, that could affect you and and your life expectancy could could be less than a couple years um so that's those are kind of the the diagnoses that qualify you for palliative care but it's also situational because it's all it's all you know anyone is susceptible to an acute cardiac event that maybe we should talk about what's going on just see you introduce ourselves the the cardiac surgeons or interventionalists anybody that can actually do something for your heart they're gonna be seeing you too um but we can also like 
touch base and say, hey, you just had this major event. And um, like, what if this happens again? Or, you know, did we treat you the way that you want to be treated? Um, we, we put you on a ventilator. Is that is that what you wanted? Uh, thank goodness you survived. But if, if something like this were to happen again, like, what should yeah. we do? Is that what you want to do? And I bet it's interesting the way the change of perspective might happen before and after that traumatic, and it could go either way, that traumatic incident, because, mm-hmm. you know, we'll we'll talk to people at Keystone Elder Law when they're at one stage of life and they'll say, no, if I get to age 85 and I have a traumatic or if I have a, de- a decline in health, you know, don't do anything. And then they mm-hmm. get to 80 and they're like, well, that's that's not old 85. Yeah. I'm, I'm 80. You I'm know, so doing good. Yeah. So the change of perspective really matters as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it, I mean, it only takes one major event to just change your entire life. Um, and so what is, what is different maybe about palliative care too, is that something we haven't really talked about is, you know, we're not only taking into consideration what's going on with the patient, but we're also like thinking about the caregivers and talking with them and really trying to, we're not treating them, we're not their providers, but yeah. we can be impactful for them as well. Well, that's a nice segue too into, I think, something we haven't talked about, which is how does the person who will need the care set up the family members to be good caregivers mm-hmm. or um, think about them as well? And we'll talk about that when we come back from a break uh, this is the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law on News Radio WHP 580. It's the Later in Life Planning Show here on News Radio WHP 580. Now, your host, Patrick Colley. We are back on the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. I'm Patrick Colley. I'm your host, and my guest today is Christy Altice from UPMC, and we're talking about palliative care. And Christy, you have covered so many helpful insights where palliative care is just not, probably not something that used to exist in healthcare, mm-hmm. and, and it has come about because we've realized just because we can extend life, we can solve a problem, we can go in and fix something, doesn't mean we necessarily should, or it might mean that's not how we do it. Maybe right. we do it do it with a bigger picture in mind. And that really is the takeaway that I'm getting from this conversation is you want to know who is this this patient? Who mm-hmm. is this person? What does a good life look like for right. them? And are we doing anything to harm that if we fix a problem? Yeah. Uh, or how can we help them meet their goals? And And right before the break, you brought up an interesting point, which is part of obviously part of the picture of the future of your patient is going to be who is their support structure, who yeah. is there for them. But you also kind of have to think of the family members or the friends as not just the support structure, but think of their needs as well. But like, how can you set up if you're the patient, mm-hmm. the, 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 the family caregiver, let's say for the greatest success. And I know, you know, from my perspective, I'm telling people, that's part of your estate planning, even though mm-hmm. estate, everybody's mind goes to a will, mm-hmm. like who gets my stuff when I'm gone? Well, I'm a little more concerned about what happens to you when you're still around and yes. incapacity <laughs> planning. So yeah. that's a huge part of of incapacity planning is setting somebody else up with not just the authority to make 
healthcare decisions for you. Now knowing from everything you've said about how complicated or nuanced, I don't want to make it sound uh, intimidating. It's not complicated. <laughs> it's nuanced. Yeah. Uh, but it's 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 a number of questions. How much? Even if you just write down, it's my daughter Sally will make all my decisions. What does Sally know about? how to answer these questions if you're not able to. So are these situations you run into? Yeah. So every day I am meeting individuals who have not thought about a time in their life where they could be faced with a serious illness. So they have not, it's not only that they haven't necessarily gotten their wishes down on paper, they haven't completed a living will or decided who their surrogate's going to be. It's that they never even talked about it. Right. Even if, or, or sometimes I meet people who have elected a surrogate decision maker. They've done an, a power of attorney. Maybe it was a durable power of attorney. And so, like, um, my understanding is that that may include finances and, and all of those different, um, you know, financially related assets management and things like that. And then a little line about healthcare too. Yeah. And so, that's kind of old school. Ever yeah. since um, 2015, 2016, especially 2018, when major changes in the medical power of attorney law happened, they really ought to be two separate planning tools. Mm-hmm. And with good reason, I think you're alluding to this. Yeah. It's like the person who might be great at getting your taxes done or dealing with an insurance company may or may not be the person who is going to speak to your healthcare team mm-hmm. and and work through some emotionally laden issues. Right. Not to mention, just because you name them in a power of attorney, that doesn't give them any idea what they're supposed to do with that authority. Exactly. So I there's two big things in advanced care planning that I talk about. Usually, one, the first thing is you want to make sure you know who you want to talk on your behalf. So incapacity planning, you know, incapacity, what that means is like there may come a time in your life where you are so ill that you are so out of it, you can't speak for yourself. In that time, who do you want me as the healthcare person caring for you to call and be like, here's the situation. I got to make a decision as soon as possible. What do you want me to do? What do you think she would want me to do? And so you want to pick the person that you think can think best like you. So, you know, by default, it's your spouse, but maybe that's not who you want it to be. Maybe you're like, I don't want to put... Well, I'm not going to call it a burden, but I don't want to. It's a responsibility. Yeah, because this is a very stressful time. Like something major just happened to you, whether that's over a period of a time or it's an acute situation. But maybe it's not your spouse. Maybe it's, you know, I want to nominate somebody who I think may be like level headed in this situation and remove the emotional part or at least be able to somewhat separate that and think really about what I would want to do. People by default go to their spouse, I think, because it's like, well, who else in the whole world knows mm-hmm. what's going on in my head uh, other than my spouse? Pillow but I, I, yeah, I mean, <laughs> they just know how your mind works. Yeah. But I have had people who say, I'm not going to name my spouse. And now sometimes they say that because their spouse already has a, a dementia yeah. diagnosis. So we're going, we're not having that person in, in a decision making role. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's just like, no, I know my spouse and I, I, I trust my you know, my daughter who happens to be a nurse practitioner yeah. will, I'd rather have that person than my husband. My I just had husband, a similar you know? situation actually where um, a woman named her daughter-in-law who was, who is a, a nurse in an ICU setting. Yeah. So perfect. And, and thankfully we did actually get down to a point where we really needed some hard, hard, hard decisions to be made. And on, at the time, understandably, her spouse was so overwhelmed with the emotion and the thought of 
her life being over sometime soon, which I don't even want to have to think about right. anytime soon for me. But he was so, he was able to be in those emotions. And then her daughter-in-law was able to assist us as the medical providers to really talk through the details and like the logistics of her healthcare and, you know, also communicate in a way to the other family members of like, what is the best choice and what she would really want. Um, and it removed that decision-making from her husband and so that he could just be with her. He could be her husband. Yeah, he could be and with her husband. And not be, uh, you know, a, a have to rack his brain over, am I doing the right thing? Right. But I mean, part of this too is uh, whether it's the your spouse, whether it is, yes, that's an important consideration is, you know, maybe you just want them to be... Uh, allow them to be there in that moment, like you Mm -hmm. said, be in those emotions and not have to think. Um, But regardless of who you choose to be the one who has to think and and wrestle with some uh, challenging, it's not like you said, it's not a burden because they Mm -hmm. do it out of the the goodness of their heart, of course. But um, what do you do to let them know, like, here are the guideposts? What do I, you know, here's how you should think about it. And it's impossible for me to think, in the future, what could it look like? I don't know what yeah. the hospital room is going to look like, right. but what? how do I tell my loved ones, here are the guideposts of how to think about it? Yeah. And so you just, you got to my second point in advanced care planning where I'm like, you got to tell them what you want them to do. Right. And and the, the biggest part is them knowing you. So they know what's important to you. And then it's my job as the medical provider to, again, define what are they hopeful for? Are they hopeful to go to the Red Hat lunch and I am sorry to the red hat ladies if I'm misrepresenting that but you know if if that's not going to be possible then you have we to need... assume they have lunch <laughs> <laughs> I think so um but so you know we have to figure out I have to guide you as your medical provider as to like what is the medical situation what are the potential outcomes and then you need to t- to help guide your family member to decide like if I could never get back to being who I was before, which is what most most people say to me, they use the, the term vegetable, but a lot of times yeah. really it's just like, if I can't live my life the way I want to, you know, gardening, going to lunch with my girlfriends, then that's not life to me anymore. Right. And so your healthcare surrogate should know when to kind of recognize when you've reached a point where you no longer would want to go through things to sustain and prolong your life if if that life does not include those quality things like lunch. Yeah. And at the very <laughs> end of, I mean, the, the legislature has met with medical professionals. They've met with all kinds of different religious professionals. And the what they recommend and like strongly in the, in the law, it should look something like this. And the language is, oh, it's too long and it's but you know it does take you through a number of important decisions but at the end you know we at Keystone Elder Law make sure that we have this space like if we haven't captured something about what you're saying like mm-hmm. here's my goal mm-hmm. here's my you know even if it's just like I'm in a hospital bed and I have a week to live like what would you like me to call a priest would you mm-hmm. like music playing you know but you want I mean at the end of it all it's like let's let's capture your goals mm-hmm. yeah most most people in terms of goals that i meet you know they they do not say i want to be in a hospital on machines and you know with aggressive medical treatments at the end of med yeah i mean you'd be surprised i mean some people uh, will surprise you maybe religious views or whatever but Correct. but let's get to what their goals are mm-hmm. and 
Christy Altice from UPMC, you've been extraordinarily helpful today capturing the nature of palliative care and its role in improving the lives of central Pennsylvanians. Thank you for being here. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So if you want to um, learn more, go to upmc.com and search for palliative care. Go to keystoneelderlaw.com and use the workshops tab because I teach weekly workshops on this kind of planning for the later years of life. But I hope you join me again next week for another episode of the Later in Life Planning Show. Sponsored by Keystone Elder Law, right here on News Radio WHP 580.